You're listening to episode 118 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Daniel Yu. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the podcast, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have a fantastic interview with Daniel Yu, who achieved a career-high ranking in singles of 326 in the world and also 425 in the world in doubles. And he is really just a fantastic, uh, great person. I really want to thank him first off because I actually uh, called him uh, through Skype while he was in Korea. And so the time difference is about 13 hours. So when I recorded this, it was uh, 10 a.m. on my side and 11 p.m. on his side. And we went for almost an hour and a half. And I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Daniel is genuinely, uh, genuinely a great person as well as a fantastic tennis player and we talk about a lot of really interesting things from uh, his beginnings in the sport of tennis in Korea um, to getting a scholarship uh, to go to the Boletary Tennis Academy and training there um, his uh, great accomplishments in the juniors including winning winning super national clay courts uh, which I I had the fortune of playing um, in the 16s, I think it was 2001 or 2002, but Daniel won it all, and uh, just incredible. And uh, also, uh, of course, his pro career, and then a really cool look into a, a two-week training with Roger Federer, uh, where Roger actually asked Daniel to come and train with him. And so we'll get into that, as well as the uh, exciting uh, development uh, that Daniel will be joining uh, Todd Widom's Academy, uh, who you might remember, I interviewed him on episode 115 of the podcast. So this is a very cool interview with a very cool and genuine person in Daniel, and I really appreciate Todd for uh, hooking it up and, and, and suggesting that Daniel be on the podcast and uh, they're going to have a great team down there. So I am really excited to bring you this interview. And so let's get into it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Daniel Yu. Hey, everybody, this is Mirban. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, and it's a great pleasure and honor for me to have uh, former ATP pro Daniel Yu on the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, he is an amazing player who's going to become uh, a fantastic coach uh, very soon. And uh, he uh, achieved a career high of 326 in the world in singles, and I believe 425 in doubles. And uh, actually, 
heard a lot of great things about him from uh, Todd Whittem, who I had on uh, the podcast. Um, but it uh, is is really great to speak to uh, fantastic pros who have been through many years of uh, tough work on the tour and, and uh, great experiences. So, uh, Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I'm really honored. Thank you. Oh, anytime, Daniel. Yeah, and uh, I've been uh, looking up uh, your accomplishments, and I, I saw a lot of cool things there. Uh, and we'll talk about it later. But I actually found out that uh, that you you defeated uh, one of my friends, Tread Huey, in the finals of the Super National <laughs> 18. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, when I was looking up the draws, I, I noticed that, and mm-hmm. so that was a great accomplishment. Uh, I'm sure you have like yeah, memories. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was a great experience. The National Clay Court in the final. I mean, Trey is—he's a, a great, uh, great player. I, and I know that even now he's—he's he's doing really well in doubles. Current. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's been doing really well. Uh, yeah, I saw him actually at uh, the City Open previously, uh, which I know you played previously also when it was a leg Mason. But, but Daniel, uh, I, I'm always interested to hear about uh, pros, uh, their first experience playing tennis. I was wondering if you could go back and and try to remember and describe for us your very first memory of hitting a tennis ball. Well, um, I started when I was 11. You know, um, I was really energetic boy. And my dad, he was the one introduced me to the tennis. And we had a, a school in the backyard and they had a tennis court. And um, um, that was it. That was the first time I actually met tennis. And I went in there and the coach was asking me that if I want to hit a couple of balls, I'm, and I didn't know how to do it. Right. So I just grabbed the racket and I swing a couple of balls. And and I guess um, that that actually got me going. It, it was fun at the beginning. And then my dad was uh, giving me this goal of of, of um, um tennis you know to becoming a um a champion's mind i guess wow so yeah from the seems so was that kind of from the beginning like when you started uh soon after your, your dad kind of just said that you're going to be a great player or did you did you take some time first and then kind of set that goal well i mean at the beginning it was for fun and mm-hmm. then after like six months or after a year, mm-hmm. I guess uh, I was beating people. I was I was able to uh, compete, and I really liked it. And 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 then I didn't know which tournament I should compete first. I, they had some little tournament here in Korea, but um, you know I wanted to compete with the other people. I wanted to compete with the the, the people from the world. So. Um, at the beginning, I won a couple of tournaments here in Korea, the, like a national tournament here in Korea when I was like 11, 12. Wow. And I became like number one, number two in Korea. And I got a scholarship going to U.S. And I went to the the States. Uh, I went to the Bully Terry a um, year and a half when I was 12. So and that was the first time I actually came to America and, and uh, started having a dream and trying to uh, 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 become a, 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 a world player. I mean, that's incredible because, I mean, Daniel, so you started tennis at 
uh, age 11, you said, and then like either that same year or the next year, you already had won like a national tournament. I mean, can you <laughs> talk yeah. about how were you able to just immediately be winning? I mean, like it maybe within a year is still so quick to be actually winning tournaments. I was training. I started like eight o'clock in the morning and I finished training around like eight or nine o'clock at night. So each day, you know, I was training more than 10 hours, nine hours or 10 hours a day, you know, just, um, just nonstop in Korea, you know, it's like for a year and a half, two years, just, just nonstop training. <laughs> I mean, it was tough, but I actually enjoyed it because I was really energetic boy. And I was, before I started tennis, I was making trouble uh, fighting with people and stuff like that. <laughs> but once I started tennis. All I did was just putting my energy to um, hitting balls and sort of running around the court. So I, actually, that changed my life, actually. Yeah, no, it sure did. I mean, look at all the amazing accomplishments <laughs> you, you made. But yeah, one thing is you mentioned that you, you've trained for like so many hours in the day. And uh, as an 11-year-old, how did uh, school factor into the day? Well, I mean, I trained from, you think it started like eight, 7 or 8 to like 10 o'clock. And then from 10 o'clock, I went to the school until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I got out and started from 3 to like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Uh -huh. So each day was, was pretty much the same. And during the weekend, and during the weekend was, was pretty much more training. And I only had a the day off on Sunday, and that was it. So... <laughs> wow. Wow. And, yeah. and, and so kind of talk more about this, because I think a lot of people they can't really sustain that sort of uh hard work and focus for i mean first off for that many hours in the day and then also like consistently every day what, what kinds of things or mindset did you have like that that allowed you to to um to do that i mean so that could maybe help others get more focused and honed in on one specific goal instead of getting distracted by other things I guess it, it, it has to do with the discipline because our culture in Korea is different as America, right? So we grew up in, in a family and even coaching, like the people here in Korea, like America, like you don't listen to the coach. They're like, oh, yeah, just go run or stuff like that, right? And they don't really beat you up. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what they beat you up but in Korea. Mm. In, at, at the time when I was growing up, now it doesn't happen much. But back in the day, like 20, 30 years ago, when I when I started tennis, the coach beat you up if you don't listen to the coach or, right. or the parents. Like if you make something fun of the kids or if you doesn't, if you lack of uh, uh, concentration or if you don't respect the elders or, or your opponent stuff, they tell you first. And if you keep not listening, they beat you up. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it's different culture. And it doesn't happen now. It's 21st, 21st century. But back in the day, I got beat up a lot. But it has to do with uh, uh, listening, I guess. Was, I, I was listening a lot. And I, I listened to the coach. And I just told I was I was doing stuff that the coach was telling me and, and my, my parents. And I guess they got me a, a good discipline, I guess. And I was able to go through with it. And I mean, yeah, I, I had some tough time. Sometimes you didn't want to train and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. It was it was my family actually coming going. They um, I mean they give me a lot of in inspiration. Um, um, 
the uh, conversation mm -hmm. and the mind thoughts and they're the one was um was was got me going yeah for sure and, Dan. at the top time yeah no it's it's always important to have the people close to you to keep pushing you can, can you remember any sorts of like words or, or like quotes or something that your uh family might have told you like uh just some inspirational type of words um my dad uh, used to say i mean this will go away and sometimes even though when i was happy he said that this is not it's not gonna last there will be a day that is the the sad time comes but at the same time when i was downtime you know he would say hey this will go this will pass away don't mm -hmm. worry about it and just the one thing he always told me was don't give up mm -hmm. and i know it's tough time but uh sometimes you have a um down times and sometimes you're up but in a lifetime the chance will come to you that there's a timing that and he said that just keep going just if you hold on to it he said that you you work this much and this much hours and this much you you put work into it and it will it will happen either way and he said that um um as uh um i guess you know like mm -hmm. you know this tennis he was telling me like look at this way like you're like a troublemaker and this work ethic and this whole thing change your life and you got you uh, um, a good person good work worth addict person so and he say that you know just look at positive way always be thankful and stay positive and i guess um that I was looking at that and came all the way here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it. That's very inspirational. I mean, I really uh, love those pieces of advice uh, from your, your dad and your family. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And um, and so, Daniel, you, you mentioned that you uh, eventually, uh, I think you said you got a scholarship to go to, uh, was it Boletary, right? Yeah, I did. Um, the, the, the Korean Federation and... Not the, it was Korean Federation and some of um, private uh, sponsors was helping me to go to Boletary. It wasn't full scholarship, but it was a little. But it was a big opportunity for me to go and and train there. And um, yeah, it was for for one year and a half. That's awesome. And and so, how does that actually like uh, work? Does it is it that like you reach out to Boletary or Boletary like had noticed you and reaches out to you or like, how does that actually work? Well, I mean, there was a, um, uh, a guy, I mean, I guess manager, there was a, there was a, this professor guy was, was really into tennis and he was the guy that who actually gave us the information about the, the academies in uh, Florida. And he was the one who helped me to go to Boletary and I mean, I mean, the academy didn't know who I was, and it was us approached them. So um, this professor guy helped me to go to Bolicheri and train there for a year and a half. And the 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 money it was came from the sponsor and federation and my family. And I actually went to Bolicheri for a year and a half. 
That's yeah. so that that's really cool. And and yeah, I actually had uh Nick on episode 113 of the podcast pretty recently, but uh I know it was uh, a while back, but do you remember any like one-on-one interactions or anything with with Nick or a- any memories about him at the academy? Mm, I was uh I trained with the Marine Sheriff Papa a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so she um I you I mean at when I was when I when I went there, it was after like six months, and I was training Maria, and mm-hmm. I was beating a lot because I mean she was like ten years old back then, and I was twelve, and I was thirteen, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And every time the father was bring take me as a hitting partner, right? Wow. So until she beats me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah, like during the weekend or when I had a chance to hit with her, I, I was hitting with her and stuff like that, and. One day I actually I lost her. I can't remember when like after like so many times times of practicing I lost her and and then the father like starting to like cutting down the practice with me. Wow. <laughs> and then and then I had to beat her again. And <laughs> yeah, you'll see some episodes back then. And Nick actually came a couple of times to um help me with the with, with tennis and stuff, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like I mean, he only helped maybe like 15 minutes or, or 10 minutes. Sure. He just look at all the players and stuff. But I mean, for me, at the Boy Cherry, I mean, it was a really good experience. But as as in training-wise and the the goal that I had, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't for me. I mm-hmm. didn't really, I mean, it didn't really help me much at the Boy Cherry. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, got you. Because I mean... Yeah, the training hours and like the school and the, I mean, back then I didn't speak very good English. So it was hard for me to understand coaches and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was a little difficult and it was two hours of training a, a day. So for me, training eight, nine hours a day in Korea and training two hours a day here, in, here at the academy was, was, was very difficult time. Sure. I'm actually really surprised that it's only... Uh... Only was two hours at the time, um, and and also yeah, I mean it, it must have been really tough because I'm sure even if you had like certain preferences or if you wanted to express yourself in terms of like what what you wanted to to do and train, like it was probably really hard because you didn't know English uh, that well. So um, yeah, you yeah. can imagine. Um, very cool. But then so after the the stint at Boletari, uh like how I guess what did you do next after that? After that, my family actually moved from Korea to uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Mm-hmm. So I moved with my family. I actually came alone to Boletari one year and a half. Mm-hmm. And my family was back then was in Korea. So we been separated for a year and a half. And then my family decided to move to Florida, right? So they came from all the way from Korea to uh, Fort Lauderdale. And, and then that and then... I was gonna just stop playing tennis because it, it was really hard. I mean, it was it was hard to find coaches, and our family didn't have enough money for me to train and stuff. So I was gonna give up. But then, and um, this coach from Germany, uh, from uh, his name is Peter. Uh, uh, Peter. His his name was Peter, mm-hmm. and he was the one helped me when I was 14 for like for one year. He helped me. But he didn't, you know charged me that much money you know, of hitting tennis and teaching me stuff. So he he was the one 
who got me going into 14. And I wasn't training much, but that when I was 14, he was the one who didn't, he was the one who helped me not to give up tennis. Mm. And, and then age of 15, I met Pierre. Mm. And that actually, uh, that was the turning point of my uh, tennis career. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've heard of Pierre, obviously, because uh, he trained Todd as well. And it uh, yeah. sounds like he's a, he's a great coach. So, I mean, like what, what things did Pierre do that in, that really turned around your career? Uh, like what did he work on with you and, and so forth and, and the impact? Well, I mean, he, um, when I went to Pierre, he, he wasn't like academy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he was, he, he, there was a kid, but he, he did it like privately. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he was helping me with, transition game Mm -hmm. and he was helping me with the fitness Mm. and he was helping me with discipline as Mm. well so and the training hours that i did with pierre and the quality of um of training was really high Mm. i mean it was just it was just kicking butt hey if you don't train you're like get out (laughs) and you don't see this much and I had some lot of argues when I was uh, 15, 16 with Pierre, but that actually got me helped. And uh, the training was so hard that I was laying down on the court and I was <laughs> saying stuff to Pierre. And it, it, it was a tough time, but that actually got me going each year, raised my level. Uh-huh. So I was able to winning at the beginning. I couldn't winning like first, second round. And then training, you know, after one year training with Pierre and I was winning like his men's open tournaments and I was getting better. I could see I was getting better. And then I couldn't play any national tournaments because I didn't back then I didn't have any green card. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't have a green card, so I wasn't able to play any, any national tournaments. I was only playing uh, local tournaments and super national. I mean, uh, super serious like just those area tournaments. Yeah. And and then I was able to just play uh, the futures, right? The the quality of futures. So mm-hmm. I was I did play futures qualities since I was 16 years old, mm. and then. 17 i got my green card and wow. i was able to play the the that the national tournaments and and that was it that was another uh, another great uh, opportunity that i had and i um i only played four national tournaments I, I i think i played four yeah yeah i did play four the easter bowl and the the florida florida state championship and national clay and kalamazoo that was the mm. fourth tournament that me and Pierre, we, we kind of planned it, which tournament we should play. And, and that was the fourth tournament I played. And Easterbrook got to the final and lost to Donald Young in three sets. Wow. And won the, the, the clay court states and won the, the national clays and got to the quarters of Kalamazoo and lost to Scoville Jenkins, and which, he, which he won that year and played Roddick. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. And that, after that four tournaments and... Everybody knew who I was in the sure. international. And sure. The coaches and they contact me and contact Pierre. You know what I was, uh, what I was want to do, what I want to do mm-hmm. in the future if I want to go to college or or just play pros. And I always wanted to just just um, compete and challenge myself. How um, how I can how I can do out there. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, there was a really great opportunity and the offers from from the college, but I told them that you know if I don't do it now, I'm gonna regret for forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
I told them I turned down all, all those deals and, and I uh, turned pro at 2005. And wow. I had some great experience and great uh, the, the, the path that I had. And I had an unfold, uh, unforgettable that, that seven years that I had. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible, uh, Daniel. And just to, to go back a little bit, you mentioned a couple of things, I guess three things that Pierre worked on with you the most, which was uh, your discipline, of course, and then your transition game and your fitness. So I was wondering with the transition game, I mean, are you talking about basically like getting from the baseline, uh, baseline to, to the net? net? Okay, okay. And, and so did Pierre, like, did he just do a bunch of dr- like transition drills? Like, what did he do to, to improve that part of your game? Uh, we, just, we did a whole bunch of things. We did buckets of transition because I was really afraid to go into the net Yeah. At the, when I was 15 because, you know, in Korea and when I grew up, all I did was not missing the ball, yeah. and that's that's what I grew up. So mm-hmm. I was good at running running around the court and not missing and putting the ball on the court, right? So mm-hmm. I was good at that, but I I couldn't even though even though the ball was coming short or and stuff like that, I was able to hit hard to the approach, but I was really afraid to go into the net. And Pure saw that, and and he. Um, Live drills or you know bucket drills every time anything short tried to come in and volley. We worked on a lot of volleys and transition stuff and in and one thing I had to do with with was my uh, courage to do it yeah. on the court. And you know we talked a lot and he, he told me like what 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 is it so important that you have to win this right now? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't because I was 15 back then, right? So. Mm-hmm. Now is not the time that you should be afraid. Now is the time that you should get learn and you should um, put this work into it and make it yours, right? Yeah. So I was um, in all those words that he was telling me and stuff. He got me um, uh, going. So yeah <laughs> yeah no that's amazing daniel uh i i, I wish i had pierre with me <laughs> because that, when i was a, a junior uh i i just basically did what you previously did before pierre which was just a grind all day and, and make a hundred mm-hmm. balls and everything like that and i had a yeah. good career but i think uh a lot of other people who are, have like a long-term vision like pierre um add tools to the toolkit and then eventually now you have a, a complete game and you're able to to put more uh, variety out there. So that's that's wonderful. And uh, also with with the fitness part of it, because even I, I saw a post from Todd on his Facebook page mm-hmm. and he mentioned that you are just really good with uh, fitness, your knowledge of fitness. So like what mm-hmm. what types of things on the fitness side did you learn from Pierre? Well, I mean, before... We played tennis. We did a little bit of warm-up fitness. Mm-hmm. And then after tennis, we did fitness again. Mm. So fitness is most important things in tennis that, you know, in juniors, you probably doesn't realize, but when you go higher level, that little bit of fitness is going to decide if you're going to keep going to the fifth set or you're going to just run out on the fourth set. So that little, uh, those fitness really matters after you play tennis. And think about it like you train you know two three four hours a day and then you're tired right and that's the moment that you got to really work work your fitness 
for either half an hour or one hour. And that's, that's the, the intensity. I mean, that intensity of fitness workout that you do, that time is going to get you better. Mm-hmm. It's going to get you better to um, having a better um, become a tennis player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I did, uh, yeah, all those. Yeah, think about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it and <laughs> all those tough times. Yeah. Yeah. They paid off. I mean, what would you say yeah. about like, I guess some people might say that if you're doing fitness after your tennis, then you you would be like really tired and then the quality might go down or the technique might go down. So how do you kind of like uh, battle against that, that fear of the technique maybe of your movement uh, being uh, bad or something like that or the quality? That's a mental. You know? I mean, mm. it has to do how much you want it. Mm. I mean, even though you're tired and how much you, you want it, how much you want it on the court that um, after we you you battle for three, four hours on the court and you come out losing six, seven in the third set because that that little lack of concentration and lack of fitness. Mm-hmm. And every time after the practice, I, I hated fitness, you know, after like <laughs> three, four hours a day tennis training. But when the fitness moment comes, even though I was tired, if I slack this moment, I I, I, I fear myself that that slack is going to come to the tennis court, the tennis match. So I was uh, uh, competing with the, the fitness, competing with other friends and stuff. Didn't want to lose. I had to come. I have to come in first. So, yeah, I mean, even though I was tired, but mentally I was looking forward that I want to win more, that I want to win. The, I want to beat this guy. I, and I don't want to slack when I'm in the third set. So I, even though I was tired, I put my uh, mind into it. Yeah, and that's again, that's very inspirational and, and motivational. And uh, of course, if you if you can dig deep during those practices, and that's going to help you so much uh, doing the same thing in uh, in matches. And so, uh, Daniel, moving forward from from uh, after those amazing results in juniors. Uh, like how, how was it like when you were first on the tour? I mean, it's kind of, it seems like, well, I I was going to say it seems like a different world, but on the other hand, you did, you were playing the futures quality since you were 16, but, Mm -hmm. uh, regardless, like how was that, that first year, like that experience actually turning pro? Was that a, a great experience or very difficult or how was it? It was, uh, it was opening my eyes because I mean, the, um, the discipline of myself, you know, being there and training and playing a match. And after the match that I have to take care of myself. And then again, same thing next day. And it was really strict life. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I mean, some people, it was different. I mean, some players just enjoy, you know, they just play tennis and they're just, you know, having a drink and next day just come out and just tank the match and go home. Mm-hmm. And there's some player like that, but you know, that who is really serious about the, this professional tennis, they were really strict. And they were really disciplined. And every time that after the match, they go having an ice bath, which is I, I really hated it before. But mm-hmm. they do that and they do best they can to get their body health. And when I was when I was junior, I wasn't really like that. I was every time I come to the tennis court, you know, I had sushi or like a burger. So <laughs> Pierre always yelled at me, like having those those stuff. But I I I, be, I became more mature and mature after year and year. 
and I and I learned from the the higher guys. So I I saw them how they taking care taking care of their bodies and stuff, and I learned from them, and and it helped. Yeah, it, it was opening my eyes. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And so when you were on tour, um, I, I, what part of your game would you say if you had to pick one? Did you rely on the most to to win your matches at the at the pro level? Um, I would say my serve and um, it was a serve serve wide and open open up the court and um, on the on the ad side that was my 70 80 percent of winning points open up the court with the with the serve on the on the ad side and then serve and volley there and usually I, I was able to pick up 70 percent higher the point there wow and um. I was good at counter punching too, and I make the guy come in and pass him, mm-hmm. passing shots and stuff. And that was one of my uh, um, uh, the shot that I liked, and yeah, and um, that and the uh, transition. Yeah, tra- I mean you cannot take out that transition because without that, I couldn't, I couldn't win, you know, good matches with the, with the better player, mm-hmm. and. and and I guess my heart, the fight, that was it. Each match was different, but some match, my heart wasn't there. And I, I lose a match, five in the third or six in the third. Didn't know what happened. But some match that I won, um, it was, what, six, four in the third or stuff like that. Even though didn't play well, but my heart was there. Like I tried to figure things out, but the other, in, what other, what our opponent didn't like and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I guess the most important thing was my heart was there. And those matches that I won the most, I believe. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's just so tough. Just so, all these thousands of. of- players who who want to do well on the tour and so you just have to want it and and really fight for it uh and i forgot yeah yeah, and and i forgot if we had mentioned but uh daniel's a lefty so that's why we're talking about his uh slice serve on the ad side uh opening up the court like that um but uh daniel as far as like your uh your your career like do you have i know it's hard to pick but do you have like one one match that like when you look back on like your career like you often think about wow that was an incredible match or like the most memorable match that you've had well um this this was when i was 17 Hmm. but i'm pretty sure uh my opponent is not gonna agree but for me it was (laughs) it was uh because my i mean it it was really amazing experience win that i ever had i play uh michael russell back then and Yeah, yeah, didn't know who he was, right? And my friend before the match, they were saying, "Oh man, that guy is gonna kill your stuff." Like, "Oh, that guy's grinder," you know, he's yeah. gonna outrun you and stuff like that. So I was like, "Man, I guess this guy is, is amazing." So I didn't find out find out about the result, you know, what he did. I just played the match, and mm-hmm. that day I was playing just, just unbelievable. I mean, I was my mind was right into the into the match, and I was serving body at the at the right time and. I was just hitting the ball. I mean, it, everything went 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 through my way. So I ended up winning in two sets, and 
And then I just couldn't believe it. I, I find out the results of what he did and he got to the, you know, the fourth round of Roland Garros and you, he went up to like 90, 70 in the world and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> that was really uh, one of the memories that I had a great experience. Wow, that's so fantastic. And, uh, you know, I guess the transition from uh, from a great memory to maybe hardship, I, I think it's always uh, uh, very interesting for the audience to hear about uh, like a tough time during your career and then how you came up and rose above to to do well again so i was wondering if you could maybe talk about like a rough patch in your career like on the pro tour and then uh what what you did to come out of it Mm. well i mean i had a really tough time at 2007 Mm -hmm. and that was the year that i actually injured injured myself really bad on my ankle Mm. and um yeah, um, I had maybe six months off, maybe. I mean, I did really well in 2006, and I was I was going up, and then 2007, the injury happened, and after the comeback, couldn't win a, win a match for like 10 tournaments in a row, right? Wow, that's so I was losing first round. Yeah, like, you know, I went to play Mexico, like, you know, some U.S. tournament, couldn't win a match. And he, I was that was a time that really... Yeah, I, I really had a down time, and and it, what he got me going was it was a time. Yeah, it's something he had to do with my family. He said mm-hmm. that you know, my dad was like, "Hey, you will pass away. Just don't worry about it. You will come to you. Just you believe yourself. Mm-hmm. I know that you had those good times. You know, back then you win this tournament, that, but past is past." Don't think about it. Just look at the future and look at the road that you're going through. I know it's a tough road that you're going through, but just just believe yourself. Just believe that you can do it and, and just don't don't ever give up. Like you said, when I was, when I was 11, so I, that really got me peaceful in my heart. Mm-hmm. So it got me, okay, winning and losing really doesn't matter now. I mean, you, I play so many matches that sometimes you win, you someday you play well, you you lose, uh, you win, and sometimes you have a bad day, you lose. But don't get so hard, don't get so hard on yourself. And after I was able to make a peace with myself, I was able to get back up. I was, and in 2008, I was able to um, start doing some good results and winning a couple of tournaments in Hawaii and stuff like that. So, I mean. I guess it has to do with yourself as well. I mean, if you make peace with yourself, you're going to have a better result, I guess, because before I was really stressed of losing and tight matches. Uh, I, I couldn't take it. I mm. couldn't take that. But after um, I was letting go of those things, and I, I guess I was uh, make peace with myself, and I was able to go through with it. I guess it's mature. You know, I... I, I raise another level of matureness, I guess. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 
Yeah, for sure, Daniel. That, that's fantastic to hear about uh, your your comeback from that uh, tough injury there. And yeah, you mentioned like so you had problems uh, with like losing tough matches. So then, I mean, w- w- the key was basically for you to let go of 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 those memories and say oh, I've had trouble maybe before with close matches, but that's in the past. So like now, I'm just going to yeah. concentrate on getting better and and winning them. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, okay. Mm-hmm. And and make peace with yourself. I mean. Don't fight with the stuff that inside of you. You you you're making fight with yourself. Oh man, why why I make the mistakes and stuff like that, and um, disgrace yourself and say, oh, I'm stupid stuff like that. No, just hey, happens, it happens. Okay, let's go forward. Just mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna learn from this. For sure, for sure, yeah. awesome, very inspiring, Daniel. So uh, while you were on the tour, so while you were playing tournaments, I guess. Maybe let's focus in on like weeks where you weren't playing tournaments. Uh, like what were you training like like with Pierre only, or like how how was your training usually like on uh, off tournament weeks? Off tournament weeks, I mean, I train with Pierre, and sometimes I set up practice matches with mm-hmm. other pros uh, who's in town. Yeah, and then I said I go there and play matches with them, and I call on the phone with to Pierre how I played and the stuff, all those kind of stuff. And then when I really need to work on my specific stuff, I go to Pierre and we worked on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that you makes know sense. later, yeah, yeah later on after turning pro, I had to play a lot of matches and even practice with other pros just. We set up the schedule and we hit a couple of balls and start playing matches. And then if something didn't work, let's say the backhand cross court or the short slides backhand stuff. And then I take that up here and we worked on that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, I mean, of course, like sometimes like when you set up these matches, I'm sure every so often you might have thought to yourself like, oh, I don't really want to do this i don't feel like it so do you just basically remind yourself of the long-term vision like where well, maybe i don't feel like doing this but i need to do this in order to like maximize my my career and mm-hmm. things like that yeah you uh you happened to me in 2012 i guess so that was the year that you had a 12 or 11 it happened to me like after um I was uh, I was going for US um, the quality of US Open, mm-hmm. and um, all I had to do was just winning a couple matches at at the challengers. I had like all those chances that I had, but I was I, I was so close to get there, but I, I couldn't overcome these matches, and he got into my head and boom! And that tournament in Lexington, I can't remember which tournament, but after that tournament. I told myself, what? I'm done. Like, mm. I can't do this anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, you get into my head. I, I was fried and I came home. And after like a couple of days, you know, I was reading a book. And same thing, like this inspires stuff that I, I wrote uh, was tennis is, is not the the only thing that in my life there's family there's friend mm-hmm. there's so many things that you haven't looked at right so why are you so stressed just there's so many people who can help you but i i was i was just trying to carry this on my own so you know i had some church friends and stuff and i was meeting them and 
they inspire me and they mm-hmm. they really cheer me up and then after a week later um i was able to uh start get back into in, in the road <laughs> okay. you know i guess each time that we without those close friends or or your family or or stuff like that you can you can go through it you can go through this it's tough because you're always competing you're always at the high high tension level mm-hmm. so without the people that inspire your heart or or careiness is is tough tough sport mm-hmm. for sure yeah you need that that uh, supportive team around you mm-hmm. uh yes and- and I'm glad you you had it. And you know, one really cool thing too, among many things in your career, is that uh, you were actually flown out by Roger Federer to train. Uh, I think in in Dubai, uh, which is uh, yes. just uh, amazing. So <laughs> I was wondering, like, how, <laughs> how how did like how did that all come about? Uh, um, I guess um, you know, I'm a lefty player, so. Yeah. And I went to IMG, the Bolitaire, when I was 13, right? And mm-hmm. I guess uh, um, time to time, I went to Bolitaire to um, play matches with uh, um, with other pros. And um, I think after, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I went to play matches with, with pros at, in IMG and... I guess the manager introduced me to um, to Roger's manager. I guess I guess he was looking for lefty player, and he contacted me through email that if I was interested in training with Feather Feather in Dubai. So I was. I mean, he didn't say where first. Uh-huh. Are you interested? There's a possibility that for you to train with Roger Feather. You know, I told him like he was telling me like, would you interested? So I was like, yeah, <laughs> it'd be a great experience, right? So. Sure. But he wasn't. He wasn't for sure. He was saying that there, there's a possibility. So I right. wasn't really expected. And after like a week later, the guy was sending me, "Hey, I will get you a flight ticket to Dubai in a train uh, to um, to train with Roger Feather." He was looking for lefty player, I guess. So, um, yeah, yeah, it happened like that. <laughs> wow. So I was really surprised. I flew in. I met Roger. He's a really nice guy. I mean fantastic fantastic personality and stuff mm. and yeah and that happened like that and we had a great training uh for two weeks like 10 days yeah like 12 days wow that that's that's so cool and so i was curious obviously <laughs> about the details and mm-hmm. everything so i was wondering about like his kind of his practice routine so i mean i have a couple questions about that if you don't mind but like first off uh what was his like general like warm-up routine did you do a lot of dynamic stretching and things like that before he practiced uh i only saw him one time he, he does that because he he does all those stuff before mm-hmm. he come to the tennis court mm-hmm. so he he was picking me up from the hotel but he finished all those stuff at the hotel and then as soon as we arrive at the tennis court you're start hitting the balls mm-hmm. so at the beginning i didn't see any other um um, warm up or stretch like that. I was the one who was rushed to stretch and stuff because I didn't know he finished all those stuff, just warm up before he arrived to tennis court, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to warm up all this kind of stuff before we hit the ball. But 
yeah, I mean, he was, I told him, like, did you warm up and stuff like that? And he said that he does all that at the at, at his apartment. Like, mm-hmm. I guess he has his stuff. Like, he has a trainer named Pierre. <laughs> so he, yeah, he was helping him out with all those, um, the warm up and stretching and before he come out to the tennis court. Cool. Good stuff there. And and uh, just curious too, like you said that he picked you up, like was he, was Roger driving himself or was it like somebody like a show? Yeah, he was driving himself. I mean, he was nice. driving his, his uh, Lexus, nice. the one that he uh, he got it from winning US Open. Yeah, he was introducing a couple of stuff. I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was, it was interesting. It was, yeah, it was, it was fun. He, um, at, at the first week he picked me up um, to the hotel by himself and it was fun i mean couldn't believe it but yeah it happened so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's incredible yeah. cherish that forever i mean i just curious again everyone's interested in fed especially mm-hmm. but like what stuff did you like what types of stuff did you talk about like your careers and and random things or mm-hmm. yeah i mean i told him like you know, how was his junior or how how the the um, Rogers, uh, the the beginning of pros, and mm. I asked you know a couple of questions about that, you know, and he said it was tough, it wasn't easy back then, mm. and there was no money into it in the features, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he realized that I can't play this tournament. He, I, the the monies are is in ATP and Challenger and stuff from there, so he didn't want to play all those futures, so he had to get better and he had to play all those challengers and i think he, he won one challengers yeah yeah, yeah. He, mm. he won and then he was getting help from switzerland um, federation so he got some wildcard and stuff to the higher tournaments and like that and yeah he told me like he played like one or two futures when he was uh like 16 17 mm-hmm. and he lost like first round or something wow. <laughs> <laughs> like he said that the, i mean the level of competition was was like jungle so he told himself there's no money and the 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 competitions are like was so tough and he didn't want to be there like he said that i have to get out of here and <laughs> to play like higher level tournament, wow. play this tournament. So, yeah wow. i mean he yeah he understand how tough it was to break through so yeah yeah, very interesting. And and so as far as like the practice routine, I was wondering um like what what was like the general what was there a general like um progression of like what what he did was it like similar every single time and and if so like what types of things did you do during the practice? Most I would say let's say if I train with him for like you know, 10 12 days Mm-hmm. Five six days was uh, was pretty much the same practice that we did. Was for me, you know, he, let's, you know, he was looking for lefty player, right? So mm-hmm. what we did was he heavy to his backhand. Mm-hmm. That that was it. Like for me, hitting four into his backhand a lot. Like we do that for a lot of times, and then he was um, he he was hitting cross-core, cross-core, and then he was working on opening up the court, turn around, hitting inside in forehand down the line mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And But all the time, he started from to his backhand, heavy to his backhand, and then we played the point out and stuff like that. And that was um, his most, uh, the practice that we did for five, like about five days. Yeah. 
Very cool. Very cool. And then I imagine you probably played a lot of practice matches with him and things like that. A uh, only like couple. Oh, couple. Okay. Practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matches was a was a two, three full set maybe three or four times of full set, and then it was like a point that we did. We played a lot of points though. Like it was a lot of points, and we did a lot of. Uh, um, he did a lot of volley drill. Like let's say he train on the baseline for like hour and a half he does like hour and a half of volleys too wow. so i mean he he has such great hands and he was mixing up fitness and tennis together he did fitness for like a minute or two minutes and then he come onto the tennis court after like 45 seconds and then playing tennis we do these drills for like one hour straight non-stop i mean wow. he was really fit too i mean i thought i was really fit then Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised, man. This guy's fit, you know. <laughs> Damn. And what year was this, Daniel? Yeah. That you? It was two thousand nine. Okay, got it, got yeah. it. Wow, that's very cool. And so, as far after your experience with Federer, I mean, what were maybe like one or two things that that maybe you learned or or like takeaways from that experience? Oh, uh, I mean, the thing that he told me was, I know that. It's really tough to make money and you have to break through from the bottom. But he said that every match that you play, think as you're in the stadium and people are cheering and 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 think about those atmosphere that you're on a court. So even though you play court 17 or court like 21 way back along with, with some other players, but don't think that and every point that you play, fight for it. And that's what he said. And, and then it will come to you if you keep work and keep fighting to it. And don't just slack the match because nobody's watching or, or a couple of people or stuff like that. He, he told me, like, always, whatever you are, whatever you are, I mean, even though I know it sucks, but think as that you're on the main court and you're the spotlight. And he, he said that always like that. So. Mm. Yeah, that really it touched my heart. And after training with Feather, and I went to play, um, I got to uh, the quality of uh, the Indian Wells, and and I had some great matches experience back there. Even though I lost, but I was I was fighting for it, and yeah, it was a it was a <laughs> great experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's great. I mean, in looking at your rankings for the different years, it I mean, it looks like the next year you had a, a fantastic year. Um, mm-hmm. So, but uh, great stuff. And and not just talking about Federer, I was curious about your maybe your routines because I'm I'm always wondering about like people uh, what they do uh, every single day. And it seems like you're you you have obviously come from a very disciplined culture in in uh, Korea. So like. It, in the morning, do, do you do things like, or at least, you know, when you were full-time playing, did you have like a morning routine? Uh, and then if so, like, what what did you usually do in the morning? Well, um, when I was playing, you know, back then full-time, usually I wake up maybe 7, 7.30. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of um, just read for like 15, 20 minutes. Mm. What did then, you read, by the way? Sorry. Uh, Bible. <laughs> oh, awesome. That's great. Yeah. So the the quiet time that I have in the morning, that's the only time that I really can have myself meditate and stuff. So mm-hmm. 
you know, I wake up and I read those stuff and take a shower and then have a breakfast. And in the morning, I usually like, um, you, you talk about pro or, or when I was a junior, like which, which between your, are you asking? Uh, well, I was wondering about pro, but I mean, you could tell me uh, about pros. Your, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the junior, I was I always serve in the morning. I went to the court and served for like half an hour to one hour. Nice. And that was my routine for like year or two years. But after pros, yeah, like I said, in the morning I read fifteen to twenty minutes, and then shower and breakfast, and and then I went to the tennis court. That was it. <laughs> went to tennis court and train from 9 to 11.30 in lunch and uh, come back at 2.30 and start training again at 3 mm-hmm. to 5.30. And then after that, fitness on the court for half an hour to one hour. And at night, I went to the gym for wow. an hour and a half. Wow. And that was one day. That was that's pretty much one day after pros. And wow. when I when I'm in in town, when I'm when I when I'm off the town to the to uh, to play a match, it's, it's different. So sure, oh, that's yeah. Awesome. When when I'm in town, yeah, yeah. That's that was my uh, uh, daily schedule. Cool. And and then in addition to that, like usually, how many hours of sleep when you were a pro were you getting? At least eight or nine. Mm-hmm. I us- usually go to bed at eleven. Mm-hmm. And try to wake up at seven or seven thirty. Mm-hmm. So no later than you know, eleven thirty or eleven. You try to I try to sleep before eleven, because yeah, I yeah. mean if you have to play that much tennis and work out, that you gotta have at least nine hours of sleep. You know, good sleep. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's really amazing how important that is. Like I know when I play several hours of tennis in a day. Uh, I, I need mm. a lot more sleep than if I didn't exercise much. And if I do play mm. a lot and then I'm only sleeping like six or seven, I'm feeling my entire body is way more sore and not recovered. So uh, that's great yeah. about the getting enough sleep there. Um, and I mean, also, you had a very interesting uh, ex- experience, I think, uh uh, I forgot if it was around 2012, but you 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 actually ended up going to uh, to the army, right? In in Korea, is that right? Yes, 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 I did. <laughs> That's cool. Can you tell I, us about I why actually, you did that? Yeah, I mean, I um, in 2012, um, I hurt my shoulder really bad. I mean, mm. and I was having um, either I, either I was gonna just stop playing tennis or if I want to get rehab and challenge again, but I heard of, I heard of this uh, um, this Korean team tennis league that they have in Korea, and I had to went to the army if I wanted to play, and I made that decision because I didn't have enough money to travel, and that was the main reason that I actually went and. My family is not a, a rich family, you know, he's a Korean pastor. So every time I went to play a tournament, I get the money that I won from the uh, the match. I used that and I had a little bit of uh, support from um, Korean teams. So I went I went to the army because of the, the 
my injury and the budget of uh, traveling and playing tournaments. At December 2012, I uh, went to the uh, the basic camp, mm-hmm. and for six weeks we have a basic training at the army. How did it start? As far as you, where, where did you, where were you living at the time? Where like, were there like hundreds of you and some like some barracks or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a dorm for 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 the soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I stayed there for for six weeks, six to seven weeks. I was there, you know, learning this basic uh, stuff uh, as an um, soldier, right? So mm-hmm. without, uh, you know, I mean, there's no tennis there. There's nothing. I mean, it's just a basic training. So all you do is just salute you learn how to do all those stuff and um you're living off a dorm with uh with the people and that training was um uh, was really tough it was it was during the winter so we did some lot of runnings off the clothes for like in the morning for 30 minutes and get back you have a breakfast and then you go out and you you uh uh you start learning um, all those combat and stuff. So for six weeks, I did that, and after six weeks, I came to the uh, the sports uh, uh, sports army. I mean, the army that I actually went to is a sports army, right? So, but before going to the sports army, that I have to do that. I have to do that six weeks of basic training. So after that six weeks of basic training, and I went to the the tennis army, and I went there and. I was starting to get rehab on my shoulder and um I was uh and and that actually went really well and I was starting to play tennis again after like six months in, in the army. So like yeah. as far as the uh uh tennis and the art like how 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 were you able to fit in uh tennis in the army? Like did they actually let you like play like in at certain hours? Yeah, I mean after that basic training camp, I was able to play tennis each day, you know, every day, okay. two hours in the in, in in the morning and two three hours in the afternoon. And after those tennis training, I was able to go into the gym as well in the army. But I couldn't use any phones or mm. go out as my free will and stuff like that. You know, I had to live off of the, off of uh, the dorm in, in the army. Gotcha. And was there anyone to? I mean, who would? Who did you play with? Was there were there good players around there? Yeah, I mean, only four player was able to get picked each uh, year, you know, to the sports army, because not everybody can go there. Because you gotta have a good ranking, and because uh-huh. Korea male, they're um, they're um, what do you, what do you say? I mean, they have to go. If you're Korean, then mm-hmm. you have to go to the army for two years, and. For me, I mean, I didn't have to go because I moved in. I moved to America when I was uh, when I was um, um, little, so yeah. didn't have to go. But I volunteered to go because that I want. I wanted to get involved with the, the Korean team tennis leagues, mm-hmm. you know, to get yeah. And 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 so like how how big are the the tennis leagues? Because I'm I'm curious. We have like a world team tennis in the U.S., but I mean I, I guess we're trying the best we can with that. But I I, I I hope that we could improve. But I like to learn about uh co- and compare with other leagues. So like how big was the 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 league in in Korea? Um, it's I would say it's different because I mean the people here 
they don't travel, even though they have a really good players in Korea, they don't travel much because the system here is is totally different as a team tennis in, in Europe or America. Mm. Is The system here is that the city com- competing against other cities. Mm. You know, so let's say the city of Miami competing against city of uh, um, uh, Broward or city of West Palm Beach, like that. And we have like 16 cities, maybe more. And each city has four players, or maybe some city has three players. And they get paid as 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 in salary from mm. the city. Nice. So, yeah. So even your, let's say if you're a good player and they pay you like a contract fee for like let's say they pay you like a scholarship fee for let's say a hundred thousand dollars for a three-year contract Mm -hmm. and then they pay you each salary uh scholarship fee and the salaries are different so scholarship scholarship fees are one-time fee for contract fee for three years and then the um, what do you call it uh annual income um salary yeah the salary they pay you each month so Mm -hmm. And they have uh, the the player apartment, and they have the team cars, and wow. the money from food and stuff. That's all beside. All those money comes on the side. So pretty much, if you don't spend money on your own, you're saving money, right? Wow. So that's, that's why cool. so many people in Korea, even though they have such a good player, they don't want to travel. They just want to play at the Korean leagues. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is so cool, yeah. man! So they, <laughs> man, I wish I could join that. But uh, how? Um, so how do they? You said they, the the. I'm wondering basically how do they fund all this? So you said the money actually comes from each of the cities. Yeah. So is the? I mean, the city, um, the tax. Um, so. So, so they basically like apportion some money from the taxes on on uh, the people to for, to fund it. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are part of a uh, uh, public officer. You call that? Oh, I mean, oh, what do you part call of the government, like government. Of, or... Yeah, yeah, public. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're part of the the sports area of um, um, even though you're contract, but you get paid from the government. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, each player, even though they uh, they are the contract player, but they um, they get paid as same as. Um, Oh, like um, a government employee, you know. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go- yeah, government employee, yeah. They so it works like that, and after the contract's over, either you do redo the contract, or if you want to go to other teams, or if you're good enough to go other teams, then they pick you uh, um, to paying the scholarship fee. So, I mean, it's it's totally different as um, the team tennis leagues in Europe or or America. I mean, they get paid by the match, right? But for us. We we have about fifteen to sixteen tournament a year, the Korean tournaments. I mean, including maybe some challengers and features, but they don't travel. They only play those those tournaments in Korea, sure. and they get paid through salaries and they get bonuses if you win tournaments and like that. It's it's actually a great system for for <laughs> for players in Korea. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you know, you don't have to tell me like the exact salary or anything, but is this? It's pretty comparable to like being a like a professional uh, in Korea, like maybe working as an uh, engineer or manager or something, like it's like that, at least that much kind of salary? Um, 
Yeah, I will guess. I mean, it's, it all depends how good you are, right? I mm, mean, mm-hmm. let's say if you're a, a top player, good player. Um, yeah, Hyun Chang, maybe. Get, <laughs> Chang Hyun, I mean, <laughs> if, some, yeah, if the, some city team wants him, then he probably, I mean, the city team probably has to pay a lot of money, right? But they, they're not going to do that because it's not worth it of that much money for them. Yeah, It's, it's, it's just a little leagues that they have. And like world-class Chang Hyun, yeah. he doesn't fit in here. So, yeah. <laughs> but one of our team named Kwon Soon, you know, he, he, right now he's number mm-hmm. one player in Korea. Uh, um, yeah. Have you heard of him? Uh, I think I have. Can you say his name again? Soon Woo Kwon. Soon I think, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Kwon Soon, he's right now, he's number one in the world. He's 81 in the world right now in ATP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's one of our team right now. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, we actually uh yeah, um contract with him um few years back, 2 years ago when he was like he was ranked about 300, like 200 stuff. And then we we made a contract with him and he's really nice guy. I mean, he's down to earth and wow. he was able to play a couple of team tens with us. And yeah, the people loves it. Wow, that's so mm-hmm. cool. And I mean, do you get a pretty good crowd like to attend these uh, matches? Um, yeah, some big events. Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, not as like US Open or or, oh, sure. or you know some Grand Slam, but yeah, we get about a couple hundred people on the crowds supporting nice. us and yeah and stuff. Yep, wow. it's it's nice. It's fun. Wow. Wow, that is so amazing, man. I'm glad that they have that system. And so, uh, uh, yeah, it's so cool. And um, I appreciate you letting me know about that. So so I'm sure that Todd was very excited because uh, you're coming to, uh, back to the U.S. in December to join uh, the Academy. So I was wondering like, how you ended up deciding to, to, to move here and, and do that. Well, I mean... The first reason is that our our minds, the coaching minds, are the same. That mm-hmm. that's the most important thing for me. And mm-hmm. we grew up together, and as with the same coach, with Pierre, yep. and me and Ty, we've been knowing each other for a long time, and we know how our personality is, how disciplined, how you know, how work ethic, the teaching wise. So we've been we've been talked talked a lot when I you know each year I went to uh, America. For for a month or two months or three months, mm-hmm. and when I when I'm there, I was I always contact Todd and helping help those players and practice and stuff and talking to Todd, and I really like the the minds of of what what he has. It's always about the quality of of training, how he cares about the the, the juniors, and and he suits me and. And I was really um, happy with that, and I decided to join him for for uh, for for the the junior future. That's awesome, man! I, I'm I'm sure it's it's going to be a great experience for you. And uh, I mean, just to, are you going to be like planning to coach full time, or are you still going to like play some tournaments on the side or anything or anything like that? Uh, it's going to be a full time. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. I mean, if I play, then maybe some exhibition match or stuff like that. But yeah, now I'm, I'm going to let everything go. Even the, the, the team tennis here in Korea. I'm not, so this is my last year contract with, uh, with the team and mm-hmm. they've been helping me a lot of stuff. And even with the transition from players to coach, they support me a lot. And 
yeah, so it's gonna be a a, um, a great when I uh, when I go to America, start working with Todd again, Todd together. For sure, for sure. Oh, and by the way, what uh, what team are, are you on right now in in Korea, the tennis team? Um, Dangjin, Dangjin, Dangjin. Um, if you can, yeah, yeah, D A N G J I N, Dangjin. Cool. Very cool. Awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I get City you. Of Nanjing, yeah. yeah, I'll definitely look you up. Uh, and, and as far as coaching, like I, I know whenever there's a, a change in people's lives or careers, like there's always some, usually some sorts of like fears or anything. So I was wondering, is there anything that like you are like a little bit nervous about? I'm sure you'll overcome and learn about it, but anything that you're nervous about, like in, in going to this new position? Uh, I'm a little nervous. At the same time, I'm kind of excited. Yeah, because it's 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 different coming from players to coach. And when I was playing, you know, I mean, you only think of, you only think about yourself. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna do this, do that on a match? You only thinking about your practice and your um um training. But as a becoming a coach, there's so many things that you have to look at. Just not their techniques or or training or you have to look into their minds or the thoughts and the tactics and all those kind of stuff and and at at the beginning I was man I don't know if I can get into this but I'm doing I was meeting a couple of guys from um, the coaches here in Korea mm-hmm. and they kind of gave me some good advice and some really thoughtful advice of, um, of, of coach. And that really helped people around me. You know, they've been helping me a lot, the stuff. Awesome, man. That, that's fantastic, Daniel. Um, well, man, I, I really appreciate you chatting. It's uh, just for everybody uh, to know, uh, Daniel is actually in Korea right now. So it's like, as we record this, it's, past midnight <laughs> so uh, <laughs> daniel first of all i'm sorry to make you sleep so late today but um no I, no no I not at all appreciate so much the adjustment and in, in for your schedule for doing this but um I, I was wondering you know where can we connect with you uh like uh online or in person to to kind of follow you and what you're doing um i have uh instagram and facebook that i um I, I put some st- I mean I don't put so much stuff now these days but I'm going to post in, in the future so you could follow me up um, from Facebook and Instagram awesome and I'll, I'll find you and I'll post the uh, your profiles in the show notes page so uh, awesome man and uh, what uh, I always end this this uh, the show with this question and you've given us so many great pieces of advice already but I'll, I'll ask you this so what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them mm-hmm. improve their tennis games? Well, I would say um, passion. Mm-hmm. I would say have passion to your game and work ethic. I mean, on the court, just put your put the quality of passion in there every time and without without passion um on a court it's it's really hard to make it i mean just have passion in the court and you know give 100 percent when you're training even though you're tired 
just have passion. That's 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 what I can say. Just, I mean, put your heart into it every time, and it will come to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome, yep. Dan. <laughs> yeah, very inspirational. Yeah. Well, I can genuinely say that I I really enjoyed speaking with you, and it was a really fun interview, and I learned a lot about uh, your career and also about how we can help. Uh, all the players improve and I'm sure that you're like you mentioned you're very excited to work with uh, TW Academy and Todd uh, and their team and I'm sure you're going to do great things with the students and it'll be very fulfilling for you to help people reach level hopefully as as high as you have reached so uh, thanks so much Daniel for uh, for coming onto the podcast and I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. I'm a little, I mean, I was a little short with the English, but I thank you so much of uh, understanding. Oh, anytime. <laughs> anytime. Yeah, no, you, you did a great job with it. So uh, yeah. thanks so much and all the best. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Daniel Yu. I uh, really appreciate it, Daniel, again, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation, and I certainly leave this interview much more inspired to really give it all that I can and to have passion for uh, what I'm doing, whether it's tennis or creating content about tennis and other things in life as well. So uh, with that, uh, I would really appreciate it if you all would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, and you can do that on the podcast app of your choice. I know most of you, through the stats that I'm looking at my podcast uh, host, that you are following along uh, and, and listening through Apple Podcasts. So you can go to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or tennisfiles.com slash iTunes. Either of those links work uh, and hit and hit the subscribe button. I'd really appreciate that. And it would make things convenient for you because that would make it so that all the episodes I publish are immediately are downloaded to the device that you use to listen to the podcast. So why not? And I also would like to leave you with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show, I think pretty much every time. And I don't know the author. Uh, it's unknown author, but he or she said, go beyond yourself rather than beyond others. I like it. All right. Thanks again for all your support and messages and words of encouragement for the podcast. And uh, as always, you know, send me some feedback. Let me know what you think about the podcast and the episode. I mean, you can email me or you can leave a review on iTunes, which is always appreciated, especially if it's a five out of five. But <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, it's appreciated. And because uh, that's how people learn is through constructive feedback and figuring out ways they can improve. And I just want to make this show be as useful as possible for you all. And I just hope that you enjoyed hearing about the inspirational story and the advice and the ins and outs of the life of a uh, top world-class level uh, professional tennis player such as Daniel. So I personally really enjoyed it a lot, as you could probably tell uh, from the interview and my comments. (laughs) All right, well, with that, as Daniel, our guest, mentioned and encouraged, have passion on the court, keep trying to improve every single day, and and give it your all, because why not? You know, you've only got uh, one life 
to live here. So um, give it all you got and see how far you can take it. All right. This is Mirbon signing off. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.